listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we are going to be discussing the second Dio album, The Last in Line. Released on July 2nd, 1984, the album would build on the momentum and success created from the band's first studio album, Holy Diver. And the album would eventually reach platinum sales status. The lineup would remain intact from the first album with the addition of Claude Schnell on keyboards. The album would find the band achieving even more worldwide success with videos for the songs The Last in Line and Mystery getting regular rotation on MTV and the band would begin to play even larger venues. All right, Darren, Dio's second studio album, The Last in Line, what are your memories of this album? A lot of memories with this album. Um, I remember buying it. Well, I was already into Dio, you know, from the Sabbath, from the Sabbath years. And also I, I had Holy Diver and I really liked Holy Diver. And uh, I think I read in a magazine or something as per usual that Dio had a new album coming out, Last in Line. So uh, summer of 1984, we went to the mall. There it was. I'm not sure how we were aware of the release date. Maybe we just hit it at the right time, but there it was on the wall. New Dio album. The cover looked awesome. Uh, you know, with Murray. I don't think we knew what his name was at the time. I'm not even sure. Maybe he even had that that name at that time. But we all know their mascot, the, the devil character now is Murray. Uh, on the front cover, you know, it's very like... Uh, post-apocalyptic looking which kind of tied in with some of the entertainment the movies of, of the time uh, you know road warrior mad max and and things of, of that nature there was always like that post-apocalyptic you know is there going to be a nuclear war type thing looming in 1984 kind of saw a bit of that in the album cover so it was it was on time um snagged it up took it home right off the bat we rock kicked in Man, what a strong opener. And we'll go through the song, song, you know, each song by song, the way that we always do. Uh, but my, my first impression was that uh, it just seemed like it was really uh, taking what he put forth on Holy Diver and just amping, amping it up. Uh, love the album. Love the album from start to finish, from, from the beginning. Uh, it was exactly what I wanted to hear. Beyond that, uh, really strong memory of seeing Dio live with Twisted Sister. And uh, so 1984, I was 15 at the time. My friend and I decided we were going to go, we were going to get tickets to this concert. But his mom, we didn't, you know, we were just too young to have a driver's license and we didn't have anybody that we knew that would drive us. So tried to recruit his mom to take us to the mall to the spectrum showcase do you remember those stores the spectrum showcase that they would sell tickets oh yeah, concert yeah, yeah. Tickets. yeah so we had to go to the mall to get into the spectrum showcase to buy our concert tickets and we couldn't get a ride so uh we ended up riding our bicycles down the highway 
to the mall from, you know, we lived in uh, more rural suburban area, but there was a, a highway that we could probably about five miles away from where we lived. We had to take the highway to get to the, uh, to the shopping mall. So my buddy asked his, his, his mom if she would drive us and she was too busy decided we needed to go because we weren't going to get tickets in time. So we got on our bikes and we're <laughs> rolling down the highway and his mom pulls up next to us, freaking out. And we had to, you know, we pull over on the shoulder. We were riding on the shoulder anyway, but we had to pull over. She pulled over. We had to pull our bikes over, put them in the trunk and she drove us the rest of the way. But we got concert tickets. Dio and Twisted Sister. Remember the concert was, was really amazing. Um, the, the the concert that I'd I'd seen two concerts before that I'd seen uh, Ozzy on Diary of a Madman and I saw Judas Priest on Defenders of the Faith I'm pretty sure Defenders of the Faith was before uh, Holy Diver but the whole stage show um, of course it was I, I think it was sold out Twisted Sister and Dee Snider and you know his whole on stage persona and and you know it was there's a lot to feast your eyes on between the two bands but when dio came out they had the you know, all of the uh the stage set with like uh an extension of the album cover and of course dio uh as flamboyant as he was and entertaining as he was it, it was a great concert so that all is part all those things are part of my memory of last in line and and i still have the tour book and I don't have t-shirts anymore, but I do have the poster, which was the album cover, the full art. And it was a long poster. I, it was like 20, I just had a frame within the last three or four years, but I think it's like 36 inches in length and maybe about 16 inches tall. But I had that, I had to find a special frame or I had to have a frame custom made for it. But I still have the poster that I bought at the concert and I still have the tour book. Uh, real important album for me. I was just listening to it a little while ago this evening and I love the production of it. Uh, the songs are great. Uh, it's a little less, a little less dark. Dio comes into his own on this one, I think. Um, he kind of gets away from the dark Sabbathy vibe, although there is some of that involved in the Last in Line. Gets away, maybe, maybe it moves a little closer to to the Rainbow thing, and I think that maybe was. It made it more evident to me that how much of Dio's personality was in the Rainbow material, especially when you consider that after Dio left, you know, they completely shifted gears. But I, I, I could, I could hear more of a Rainbow vibe coming across in the Last in Line, whereas Holy Divers seemed to be more of an extension of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, the Black Sabbath uh, era of, of Dio's career. But it seemed to me like the last in line was more of a Dio coming into his own and maybe some of the rainbow vibe um, from the 70s. So, but yeah, I mean, song for song, I like the whole album and uh, I still do. I, I think it's a great album. How about you, what are your memories of the last in line? Yeah, I like this one from the moment that I got it. I, I, don't remember exactly like you uh, how I found out it was coming out, but I think I was actually aware that it was coming out. I knew that it was coming up, whereas Holy Diver just kind of was, I walked into a store and it was there. Uh, and I loved it from the first time I heard it. I, I 
back then and still to this day, I like the mix and the production better on Last in Line than Holy Diver. I also felt like Vivian Campbell really came into his own on uh, the Last in Line. I think that he has some of his best guitar solos on here. I really like his guitar tone on the Last in Line. And at that time in my life, uh, I was really into guitar heroes and having lost Randy, that was just crushing to me. And I felt like I needed somebody to get behind. And that was Vivian Campbell for mm -hmm. me. It was yeah. really important for me in a band, for the bands that I like to have good guitar playing it. And I was just really into Vivian Campbell. Uh, always liked the album. Like you mentioned, the album cover is, is great. And I also remember the videos, you know, the video for Last mm -hmm. in Line. And it was more produced than Holy Diver and Rainbow in the Dark was. And this was now MTV was, was in full swing at this point. Uh, heavy metal and hard rock is getting played on MTV a lot. And I just remember seeing that video and really, really liking the video. And I just, just always, always loved the record. You know, we're gonna go through song by song, but the, uh, the intro thing to the song, The Last in Line, that sort of pseudo classical like picked thing, I, I always thought was great. We Rock is a great album mm -hmm. opener. Egypt, you know, felt like kind of an epic uh, closer for me, but uh, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a time when I just remember being so into, you know, metal and, and, and getting this and just really wanting to get behind this. I say this all the time on the podcast. I was young and I was naive at that time. And in my mind, I, I thought that uh, bands stayed together forever and that nobody left a band. So here, you know, I, I really wanted to uh, put my heart and soul into the Dio band. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to love this band for the rest of my life because this is just yeah. checking off all the boxes for me. It's got great guitar playing, Jimmy Bain. I could hear his bass on this. Uh, Dio sounds fantastic. It had some of the more darker elements like the song, The Last in Line and, you know, Egypt. Uh but there was also a real uh, melodic element to a lot of the songs. And I'm a sucker for melodic stuff. And we're going to get into it song by song. And maybe this song hasn't aged quite as well for me. But at the time, I used to really like mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, but the songs are just really catchy, you know, and, and I just really dug the energy in a lot of these songs. Like I Speed at Night, I thought was fantastic. I had all kinds of guitar all over it. Uh, I also liked the addition of the keyboards here. All, you know, it wasn't uh, overbearing or anything, but it, it did add a little uh, nice little touch into some of the songs like in One Night in the City. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so it's an album that I really, I loved back then as I was revisiting it, getting ready for the, uh, for the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it. It took me back to, also, at this point in my life, I was really into learning how to play bass. I had played guitar, played piano for a little while. Then I played guitar and I had shifted over to bass, I think, when I was like 12. So I was like two years into playing bass when this album came out. And I remember trying as hard as I could to try to figure out how to play some of these songs. And for some strange reason, I can remember this. I can remember sitting there saying to myself like, oh, someday I'm going to be good enough 
that I'm going to be able to figure out and play all these songs on this record. Like if I could figure out songs on my own, I would learn every song on the last in line. Did you? <laughs> so, yeah, I can now. Yeah. I can play every song on the last line. And every time I do, sometimes I do sit down and just turn that record on and jam along with it. And I think, man, the 12 year old me would be so impressed yeah. <laughs> with myself now that I could sit here and just play every song on this record. So yeah, it's, it's a record I have. Uh, just great memories of it. It just, just there was just so much good uh, music coming out then. It's it felt so fresh. It sometimes it's easy to forget how much stuff was coming at me at one time. You know, I've said talked about this before on the podcast. I had a little bit of a different situation from you. I lived in a very rural air, rural area. I was nowhere near a mall or a record store. So about every two months, my parents would go to the, take us to the mall and I'd be able to buy one or two cassettes. And once I joined record clubs, I was able to get some, some things that way. But man, you know, I would go to the store and one month I'd be buying that Black Sabbath tape I didn't have yet, Technical Ecstasy. And I'd also, oh, and there's, here's Last in Line, the new Dio record. I'm going to grab that. And it's just, it's, it's hard to... Uh, I remember how excited I was and how enthusiastic yeah. I was about just hearing all this music and just uh, being so into it. And I remember kind of feeling like with Randy dying and not an Ozzy's band anymore. I mean, I really liked Jakey Lee and everything, but I, I, I just really wanted to put my heart into uh, the Dio band. And I felt like, okay, man, hopefully this band is going to stick together and it's just going to get better and better. It felt like the last in line was, was this, I really liked Holy Diver, but the last in line seemed to even take it another step. Everybody seemed to be playing really good on this record. And it was a step forward in some ways. And so I was just really excited about it. And I think for the band themselves, when you, when you read about the history of the band, uh, you know, the band, right. This point, the last in line, they were really clicking. They were firing on all cylinders. Uh, there was a real chemistry amongst these guys, these members, Jimmy Bain, Vinnie Apice, Vivian Campbell and Ronnie, there was an, just a real chemistry. And when you read interviews with them talking about this album, it was just an easy album to make. It was just flowing out of them. There was a lot of energy and excitement. The band was really on the rise, you know, Holy Diver was Ronnie stepping out on his own, but last in line was when he really took it to, to the next level. You mentioned seeing him on this tour and the big stage set and everything. This is when Ronnie now moves into playing arenas and stuff like that. So this was a, this was a big album for the band. Everything was working for them. And I think you can just really, you can feel it and sense it on this, on this album. It's a real strong I, record. Yeah. I, I think that there's the, was a success story with for Dio with Holy Diver. And, you know, it started from its, its humble beginnings is things didn't work out with Black Sabbath. And here he was, he, now he's going to, he's going to do his own band. He's going to form his own band. And he and Wendy, they took their own money and they, and they put it into the production of, of his solo album and he put the band together. And it was like, you could kind of root for Ronnie you know, here, here it is now. He's, he's ready to go out on his own. He's, he's been in other people's bands and he's been such a strong talent and, and made these bands great. You know, he, he resurrected, he brought Black Sabbath back from the dead, essentially. Um, he put 
Richie Blackmore's rainbow on the map. He got them on the radio, you could say. But here it is now. It's it's Ronnie's turn, and and he deserved it. And you you can't help but get behind him because he's such a talented singer and he's a likable person. Very when you read his book um, or if you've read interviews with him or if you've seen him interviewed, you know he has a strong personality. But he's honest. I mean, what you see is what you get. And you know sometimes you know he lets it loose when he talks talked about how you know he parted ways with vivian there's some really funny youtube uh things right <laughs> just thinking about this one thing he said uh, somebody he was signing autographs as, as, as oh, yeah, yeah, often yeah. always do and yeah. somebody said oh you know i just saw vivian campbell the other day oh yeah how's he doing son of a bitch hope he, <laughs> hope he up and dies and yeah. said, well you know i mean he's in death leopard i don't remember i'm i'm just paraphrasing something well, you know, he's in Def Leppard. Oh, Def Leppard. Yeah, there's a there's a great band to have diarrhea with. <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? But it was just funny. And obviously, I mean, he's not holding back. You know, he's being real about it. He's he's mad at at the situation. He's, he's mad at Vivian. And and I, I, I get that, you know, and I, I kind of respect that in a way because um, he's just being he's just being Ronnie. And um, but so to put it get things back on track. So here they are They, you know, they, they, they put their own money and, and a lot of they've invested time and blood, sweat and tears into this Holy Diver and put the band together and it does well. And it was a success and they're building off that success and going into the second album. But like anything else, I mean, when you said the band was, was tight and, and they were really together on it. Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, at least enough so that they got, they were able to record a really good album and, and your man Vivian's playing it it just improved exponentially on on this album I mean some of the solos are just mind-blowing I mean they're they're incredible um but you know there, there were cracks started to form you know there was like I think from the from the prophets of Holy Diver uh Vinny and and Jimmy were able to buy houses uh Vivian bought reportedly bought a Ferrari, but you know, I mean, there were some things I guess that were said from management, who at the time was was Wendy, had, and not unlike Sharon Osbourne, she controlled the business side of of things, and you know, there were some uh, things that were said, I guess, early on. You know, once things we, you know, if if we can turn a profit from this, then you know, we'll reassign the the financial structure of of the band and 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 she doesn't say that she didn't say it but it didn't come to fruition and there was some hard feelings about that on on vivian's end and of course that became the reason why he left and then he was really put it out there and then that was where the friction between he and dio really came from vivian said that you know he wasn't paid fairly that he was doing a lot of work writing a lot of songs on the other hand it stands to reason that, well, yeah, but you got Ronnie's voice and you have Ronnie doing a lot of the writing. You know, it isn't an Ozzy situation where, you know, he comes fumbling in and, you know, the, they got two guys, you know, Jimmy Bain and Vivian Campbell were writing all the music and, and Ronnie comes in and, you know, mumbles a few lines over, over the music. And then Jimmy Bain goes in and writes all the lyrics and then gives it to Ozzy and then, or gives it to Dio and then Dio sings it. No, Dio was much more creatively invested in this and could write music, you know, so, so he he was also contributing a great deal 
of material to the Dio band. And the Dio band was another thing that after a little while, I guess, while there was success, and it's, it, success, I guess, comes in a couple stages. In the first stage, everybody's happy that it becomes successful, and they're really happy, and they're congratulating one another. Then the second stage is that they're like, wait a minute, what's that person getting? What's, is he getting more than I am? Well, who's getting more of the attention? Oh, well, you know, I did a lot of work, too. And then it becomes where now where it was they were all collectively excited now it starts to kind of separate and they're wondering like well should i get as much how much is this guy getting and what's who's getting more of the credit that's kind of that the stage that it eventually evolved to and and jimmy was as it says ronnie said in his book was kind of getting a little bit salty about the fact that the band was called dio you know and so oh. you know jimmy was a musician of, of, of pedigree that, that came from, well, when he was with Rainbow, of course. And, um, and before that, he was in Wild Horses with Brian Robertson. And I guess that enjoyed a certain amount of success from that. But of course, the Dio band went on to achieve much more success than Wild Horses. And Neil Carter was in Wild Horses, Neil Carter of UFO fame. Uh, Certainly, the Dio band achieved greater levels of success than I think Wild Horses was capable of. But I, Jimmy felt as though that he was a musician of great pedigree, and and he was also kind of, you know, maybe a little misguided in the way that he lived his life, and maybe alcohol and some substances had some influence on the way that he conducted his behavior. And so he hung in there for another album, but. Uh, cracks started to form and i think that there started to be some resentment as far as the way the business side of things was was handled and also a little bit of resentment towards ronnie for being the the namesake of the band and the guy that everybody looked to when you saw posters or you saw t-shirts i remember the last in line t-shirts or the t-shirts that sold the last in line concert there wasn't a t-shirt that i can remember of the whole band on the front there was a t-shirt of the album cover there was a T-shirt of, of Ronnie, you know, that I remember I had a jersey, black sleeves, and what, what are they calling them, raglands, raglands, we yeah. called them jerseys back in the day, but it had Ronnie, you know, doing the, the devil horns on the back, it, it said, you know, the, the Dio logo, last in line, and maybe like some, some lyrics or tour dates or something like that, but there wasn't a lot of attention, there wasn't, the, the, the success of Dio wasn't spread throughout the rest of the band insofar as visually it was ronnie's ronnie's face it was ronnie's yeah. personality that was the main part of the dio band and of course he was a namesake so it all made sense to everyone but the other members of the band so but in spite of that uh yeah they did hold it together they played they toured a lot uh this tour started out i think with white snake and then it shifted over to twisted sister was which was when i caught them and then it went back out on the road with with docking uh, and um yeah so i mean they really worked hard collectively and, and they made it they made it happen and the videos you mentioned the videos the video for last in line had constant rotation on mtv but moreover for me personally to get back to my memories 1984 was a tremendous year for me and music it was really like it was like Disneyland for me being a kid that was into heavy rock, hard rock and heavy metal, because it was just making an impact all over the place. All the rock magazines had Scorpion splashed on the cover, Ozzy, 
Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Dio, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Iron Maiden, Van yeah. Halen. All these bands were just trending hard. And it was MTV. All these bands on any time of the day that you put on MTV, yeah. watch MTV, you, you would see Def Leppard video. Metal had crossed into the mainstream at this Very point. Much We've already metal. had Metal Health by Quiet Riot as yep, number right. one. They've taken over on MTV. Whereas when we talk about some of the earlier stuff, like when we're talking about 80, 81, you know, metal had an MTV wasn't around yet. Metal hadn't crossed over yet. And I think this is good timing for the Dio band because MTV uh, it's exploding all over MTV and everything. And, uh, and they're right there for this and they're jumping, you know, they're yeah. right at it. And like you said, it was like sort of a, it was just an amazing thing. It was just, it was all over the place. It's mm -hmm. hard, sort of hard for people to, to picture this now, but you, you were, they were all over all the magazines, all the rock magazines that switched over to heavy metal. Everybody was talking about heavy metal in the magazines, even mainstream things. Also, this was the era with, uh, you know, with the rise of heavy metal getting more popular. Now it starts to get attention from a lot of attention. yeah like uh people uh, is this good for kids you know it started to become mm -hmm. this thing that parents started to get nervous about so you were also which of course as young kids that just made us want to listen to it and buy the records even more you know the example uh, of the, the last in line you know the album cover that was an album cover that i remember some of these some of these uh, PMRC type, I don't remember if the PMRC was around quite around this time, but it was right around this time when people, when heavy metal, because it was becoming more popular, it was also becoming a societal boogeyman of sorts. And as young kids, that just made us embrace it all the more because it, we, we, it became our thing, you know, yeah, yeah the older parents and these people they don't like it but you know we understand it we get it and that's the great thing about Dio he uh always sort of was very good and you see this continuing from Holy Diver into the last in line he is always very good about singing to the downtrodden the the metal fan the overlooked the outcast you get that in the last in line yep. you get sort of these rallying cry type songs like we rock we had that mm -hmm. in stand up and shout off a holy diver and to me ronnie is just really you know you see you you mentioned it earlier that you see glimpses of this that make you realize what ronnie's contribution was to his previous bands to rainbow and black sabbath because you start hearing things now with the Dio band and you realize like, okay, that was Ronnie. That was Ronnie's influence. You know, now you hear this in Rainbow, do you close your eyes or maybe in with Black Sabbath with something like Walk Away or, uh, and now with uh, The Last in Line, I really feel like, okay, Holy Diver, there's probably, they're still not 100% sure how this is going to work. Ronnie and Wendy, uh, funded that album with their own money, but Holy Diver worked. Now the record company is behind them. Now they know that this is going to work. And this for me, the last in line is Ronnie really coming into his own here. And you just see there's a, so many of these songs are just real sort of classic Ronnie D James Dio performances and subject matters. One night in the city, you know, lost kids, 
searching for something, you know, just like we would get in rock and roll children on coming up on Sacred Heart, just like we got in Don't Talk to Strangers, you know, you're just seeing this is just classic Ronnie, the melodic side of Ronnie in, in mystery where, you know, yeah, Ronnie sings about a lot of things, but he also can be very uplifting at yeah. times too, and very positive with his messages. You know, he sings about the dark side, but he also, there's a rainbow in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? Yeah. And that just really, to me, again, last in line, is just the band is really clicking. There's just a lot of Vivian Campbell is coming into his own. Ronnie is, is really just super confident not that he was never not a confident person before this that was always one of his strengths uh but it's just really holy diver worked this is really working for them i think that they're really confident here uh and i think that you know you mentioned the money thing and it is true you know let's face it how many aspects of life you're talking about sports and things like that where money becomes an issue with things and music is not is not safe from that. And I think that that did really start to come in, especially when they went out on tour. I think that that's when it really started to kick in because they went from playing, they really took a big leap forward here with, with the tours and really becoming a headliner and the bigger stage shows, bigger audiences bigger merchandise budget and i think that that's where now the songwriting royalties again you know holy diver was a success and everybody starts looking around at everybody the other guys in the band and going hey how come that guy got to buy a house that was bigger than mine how come wait a minute now we're selling all these t-shirts and uh, where is that money going you know and all of a sudden and then yeah this, the cracks start to form and then by the time you get to the end of the tour with uh, the last in line, I think that then it is really fractured and that carries itself over into the studio with uh, Sacred Heart, you know, and it does really begin to affect the band. But for me, the last in line is just really uh, all, all, all things coming together, all the stars lining up here for Ronnie. It's just a perfectly timed record. We've, we've already mentioned MTV and, and metal just going mainstream and it's it, 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 again, it's hard to remember this, but you would see some parent complaining about Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal on your nightly news and they would hold up a copy of Last in Line because that's how that's where metal was at that time. And Ronnie was right there, right up there with everybody else. He's an arena act at this point. He's playing arenas just like Black Sabbath, just like uh, Ozzy was. He was. Maybe it's on that same yeah. level as them. And it seemed like the sky was the limit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it pretty much was at that point. And it did continue to, to go up. I mean, uh, we don't have to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I saw them twice on sacred heart. And again, uh, headlining stadiums. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely worth noting that to go from, well, from, from my experience, I, I didn't see him on Holy Diver. Uh, we were supposed to go, but there was one reason or another why we did. Maybe it was what night of the week it was or something. But again, we played Philadelphia, I believe, at the Tower Theater with Twisted Sister, which would have been great. Holy Diver for, for, for Dio and Twisted Sister, I guess you can't stop rock and roll. Uh, I'm sure it was can't stop, you can't stop rock and roll. But, um, but still, that was on a, on a smaller venue. And then to go from from that to 
stadiums, Philadelphia Spectrum, and you know every stadium in every city on they stopped on tour, headlining no less, uh, was quite an accomplishment, and it was well earned. I mean, it was done by basically, you know, like we both said earlier, funding it themselves, taking a chance, working hard, just making a great album. And fortunately, people bought it. People sometimes, you know, great albums come out and they don't, it, it doesn't happen the way that it should. I and mean, it's unfortunate. And, 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 you know, you get kind of like, wow, why didn't, why wasn't that album more successful? I say that all the time. I listen to things at least a couple times a week and I'm like, why isn't this album, why wasn't this album so much more well received? And who knows the answer to that? It just wasn't the right time. But Holy Diver came out at a time when it was just fortunate enough to, to be appreciated. And it did chart well and it sold well and they made a lot of money. And like you said, the record company got behind them. Um, there was like a $200,000 budget on, on one of the videos. I think it was the video for Last in Line. Uh, the, the director was the same guy that did, uh, I forget what his name was, but the same guy that did the movie Phantasm, which yeah. you know, would lend itself to some of the cheesy effects. That little thing that gets caught in the elevator door. And it yeah. Like, it it, 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 it wasn't a kid. I've, I've, I've tried to research. This, horror. The, the kid that was in that last in line video, wasn't he at that time? Was he in a, in a, in a movie or a he was in the movie, TV? the Amityville horror. He was one of the little kids in the Amityville horror. And, and he was, there was a, a television show. Some people our age might remember it. They did a television spinoff of the Bad News Bears. Yeah. He was one of the kids cast for the TV version of Bad News Bears. Okay. That's where I remembered him from. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You, and, he, and you'd see him in other things too. I mean, up to a point, like he got, I think, to a point where maybe he was an adult. Uh, he was still, you'd see him from time to time at that time he was a recognizable like yeah. however old he was 13 14 year old kid like that. you yeah. know he was kind of a recognizable thing so for him to be in that video i remember was 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 kind of cool yeah sure. <laughs> all right well uh shall we jump into the uh to the songs let's take yep. a look at the record here all right it opens up with uh we rock and as i mentioned earlier this starts off in a lot of ways very similar to holy diver for me uh, stand up and shout it's got that same kind of sentiment it's 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 a song you know they're going to open it open up with on on the tour it's something to get the fans involved it's got the crowd uh you know crowd participation thing just built into it uh it's written by uh just ronnie himself it, it's just a it's a classic uh, Ronnie type lyric. I love the guitar riff in the beginning. I love the way it just sort of jumps in. It just starts right with the thing and Vinny doing that snare thing on his snare drum before he kicks into the whole drum set, I think is awesome. I've mentioned how much I like Vivian's guitar sound on this album. The solo on this song is great. And uh, it's, it's just a super cool, fantastic album opener. Yeah, we rock. And that, uh, I guess you could say it's a little corny by today's standards, but it it, it hit the mark back in 1984 because it was kind of like um, an emotional call to arms for all the metal kids, you know. It's like and seeing it live and and the reaction that everybody had when when 
you know, Vinny's doing the paradiddles on the snare and, you know, the, the energy that, that comes from the song and, and the lyrics and, and Ronnie really getting into that, that mindset of like, yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah. We're, we're, we're rock and roll children. And, and it was something that we could all bond with one another. It was a really good vibe. Yeah, it's been so long, but I do remember that there was such a good vibe. There were a lot of smiling people, a lot of people with their fists in the air, but just a happy, exuberant energy in the concert when We Rock came on. Everybody could like, yeah, we rock, we rock. And it's kind of corny to say that now, but man, it, was, it wasn't then, you know? And if, yeah. if you're of the age where you rocked in the 80s, you're you're always in that mindset and you <laughs> always feel like yeah we rock um but uh yeah as far as the song itself definitely gets things jump started you know kicks into it in a really good way and uh yeah i mean song first song in when we're off and running yeah ronnie's great at that kind of bringing everybody together we're all one big metal family here long live rock and roll and you know this is still it's sometimes easy to forget this 1984 this type of hard rock is really only 14 years old roughly at this point in time so you know you don't have you sit back now and it's we love rock and roll and uh, you know your grandparents can love rock and roll it's like you have multiple generations of people that have grown up and rock with rock you haven't really quite had that at this point uh you know so it was still kind of fun to you know, rally the troops together and say, hey, we're all in this together. And Ronnie always did that really, really well. Mm -hmm. All right. The next song is the title track to the album, The Last in Line. This is has a uh, writing credit with uh, this is Jimmy Bain, Vivian Campbell and Dio. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I love the picked uh, intro thing to the song there, the way Ronnie, classic Ronnie, kind of singing in a little bit more of a mellow tone of voice. He, he, he has so many aspects to his voice and he knows how to do that really well. So when the song kicks in with the, with the drums and everything, it sounds big, it sounds bombastic. Uh, great song, great chorus. It, it sort of lines up for me like Holy Diver does on the, the song Holy Diver does on the from the Holy Diver album. It's sort of the epic. It's the title track. Uh, Vivian's solo is fantastic in it. Uh, the keyboards, I think, are a nice touch to it. So uh, one of one of Dio's best. It's one that he would play with him in his sets. I really think from this point on, it's probably off this record. It's probably the song that and we rock are probably the songs that stuck the most in his set list through the years. So, yeah, I, 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 the last in line definitely um, was Ronnie's calling card for, for a while. And, and still in some ways it probably is. Um, it strikes that same emotional chord that uh, heaven and hell does. Um, a uh, little bit of Stargazer, more of the, of the songs that have the variation in Dio's voice where he's singing mellow and then he, he reaches a, a point where it becomes more of, of, a, of a commanding vocal presence. Um, lyrically, you know, he's singing about presumably the downtrodden people that are misunderstood but good at heart. Um, and it's kind of like the rallying cry that, that 
it is a recurring theme in a lot of his music. And I guess it's probably because maybe that's how Dio saw himself in a way, but he certainly recognized that in members of the audience, or at least, you know, the people that, that appreciated what he did. So he, he, he sang to them. And this is one of the songs that, that he's singing to, to that, to that audience and that was all of us <laughs> you know we, we were all kind of the last in line we were we were kids we were teenagers yeah. you know we're and rock and roll children yeah we're rock and roll children and we're teenagers and we're a little disenfranchised from things There's, you know we're growing up and we're, we're struggling with things that we would realize later on didn't matter at all but we were consumed by it and ronnie seemed to understand that and he he knew that the basic core of his audience was of a certain age and he, he sang these songs like the last in line that we could we could relate to. And it, it helped. It helped in a way deal with some of the things that maybe we thought were so important at the time, but really weren't. But it, Ronnie was there. He was like kind of a, a big brother in a way. You know, Ronnie was there to say, hey, you know what? We're all in this together. We got this music and we're going to get through this. And, you know, we're going to do it together. We're going to get through this together. Last in line was kind of like that. It was like, yeah, you know maybe we're all the last in line but there's strength in numbers and you know together we're gonna we're, we're gonna rise to the occasion uh, which really meant a lot to a 15 year old kid and as a, a 52 year old kid it still means <laughs> it, it still means a lot to me and it's it's a song that I, I i still you know get a little bit of a you know i get chills a little bit it, it still does what it did as many times as I've heard it, it still does what it did back in 1984 for me. Ronnie really understood the importance of having a good title track on your albums, and they tended to be the epics, you know, Heaven and Hell, uh, Holy Diver, Mob Rule, even Mob Rules, even though that's kind of a shorter song, and here, Last in Line, you know, it's sort of the, the epic of the album. And he always placed them early in the records, too, which I think is, which I think is really cool, so really strong song. All right, next, uh, one thing I really like about The Last in Line is, is that it, it feels like it has a lot of deep cuts for me. As yeah. years went on, uh, Ronnie would play a lot of songs from Holy Diver. And as we just mentioned, really the only song that was consistent through his set list through the years from The Last in Line was the title track, We Rock. So this album feels like it has a lot of deeper cuts for me. And this is an example of one of them, Breathless. Kind of a straight, straightforward song, but it's mm -hmm. got a cool riff, uh, good playing in it. Ronnie's delivery is uh, really good in it. And uh, it's just a cool song. It's kind of a fun, uh, deep cut on the, on the record. Yeah, it's a no frills affair, but it, it's got a good riff. It's got a good structure. Um, some of the so songs that it, it, what I, I would consider a highlight on the album, but I, I'm, always, I'm always open to it. You know, it's always a welcome song when I'm listening to the album, you know, in sequence and context. It's not one that I would generally single out as a highlight, but I mean, it's a good song. It just does what it's supposed to. And it, it takes us from the last in line, bridges the gap between the last in line and, and the next song in a, in a really good way. Yeah, that next song is I Speed at Night. And uh, for me, what I loved about this was the tempo. It's fast and this is the era now of the guitar hero i think i'm pretty sure i had discovered Ingve malmstein at this point so i was really into 
guitar players being able to show what they got. And this is a real showcase here for Vivian Campbell with this uh, fast sort of finger twisting uh, riff and just the whole song in general is just uh, sort of ripping. It's, it's, it's kind of aggressive and, uh, and it's a cool one. It picks up the speed, uh, you know, for Ronnie, he doesn't do a whole lot of songs that are this, this fast. Mm -hmm. I haven't really thought about it. If I beat it, you know, what's the fastest song in Ronnie's solo in the Dio band's catalog? Uh, this this one might be up there. And yeah, it, it might be it. Um, I think this this song definitely, along with We Rock, uh, highlight Vinny. And one thing that's pretty noticeable about the production on this album, and I'd say Holy Diver to an extent as well, is... Uh, when when you're, you're listening to these albums th the two things that are the most noticeable are ronnie's vocals of course and vinnie's drums um the bass is a little bit it while it is audible it's i'd like it i, I wish it were a little louder um but mm -hmm. it, it's there and, and it is audible um and of course the guitar is right right around the middle maybe a little bit higher but the main the main things that that I hear Ronnie's voice, of course, and the drums and the drums are definitely the highlight of I speed at night, you know, Vinny's he's keeping it rock solid and steady at a faster tempo. And, and he is a great drummer. There's, um, there's a certain style that he has. He's really fast with some of his fills and the placement. Um, he's always in the pocket and the fills are really creative. I, I I'd like to watch Vinny play. He's got a, um, Thing that he does on Facebook where you can I think it's like on Wednesday nights actually where you can watch Vinny play and you watch him warm up and he, he tells you how he does certain things it's kind of a laid-back sort of thing but I've always liked uh, Vinny as a as a drummer and uh, I like his playing on this song in particular one thing I want to mention we haven't really talked about just kind of like a little bit of, to, to stop and acknowledge this is the fact that this is one day past the anniversary of, of Ronnie's death yeah um, Yesterday was his anniversary, the anniversary of his death. And uh, being on social media and seeing all the pictures of Ronnie all day yesterday and all like carried through till today, it's like really sad. It's still kind of unbelievable that, that he's gone. I mean, you know, it's, I remember at the time it was like, wow, Ronnie James Dio is no longer with us. And, and even though I think his, voice started to become more frail and he wasn't didn't sound the same as he did in this, this classic era it was just good to know that he was still there kind of like lammy you know Lemmy yeah, was yeah, yeah. sounding really frail and weak but he's like now we but we don't want to lose him i'll right. support anything he does as long as he's still there so and of course, when, when Lemmy passed, that was also a, a severe blow, I'm a big Motorhead fan. And when, when Lemmy died, I, I took that pretty hard. But I definitely took it hard when, when Dio died. It was definitely a, a rite, of, rite of passage. Um, yeah. Inevitable, but it was not, didn't make it any easier to, to deal with. Um, yeah, the thing that was, that was difficult about Dio's passing for me was, I'm trying to think, I, I think he was really like the first metal hard rock artist that I was really into that I really liked that passed away from you know Ronnie had cancer 
but he didn't die by misadventure. He didn't die from a night of hard partying and he didn't die in a helicopter crash or something like that, where you can sort of sit back and say, this is, you know, this was something that an age related, uh, you know, type of type of illness, you know, something that could happen to anybody. And uh, so it, it just made it, it made me realize that, you know, my heroes, my musical metal and rock heroes, that they're getting older. And they're not immortal. Yeah, they're not immortal. And Ronnie was the first person that that that, that happened to. It, did, it seemed like, well, you know, he's, he's going to be here forever. I mean, Ronnie's been here since the 70s. I mean, what's what's a world... What's a heavy metal world without a Ronnie James Dio in it? And you just, you don't want to think about it. And then, then it happens. And, you know, Lemmy was, was, you know, glad you mentioned Lemmy because that was another one. Lemmy, you know, Lemmy had a lot of uh, health complications at the end of his life, but they were all sort of age related uh, type of things that, that, you know, sadly can, can happen to anybody. And Lemmy was this kind of character where you sort of thought of him like Keith Richards, like this guy is just going to, he's immortal. He's nothing can stop, you know, Lemmy, his, his use of, uh, you know, he, he was, his excessive uh, lifestyle was the stuff of legends, <laughs> you know, and you just thought that, well, you know, this, there's, this, this, there's something special about this guy. He's just, he's going to be around forever. And when you see them, uh, you know, I remember seeing pictures of Ronnie uh, after, not too long before he died and, and he just seemed so frail. And it reminded me of the same thing with, with Lemmy. Uh, when you had heard that Lemmy was sick and you had seen some pictures of him and I remember hearing an interview with him and he just sounded so frail. And I thought to myself, oh man, this is, so yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up with, uh, you know, the day we're recording this podcast is the day after uh, the anniversary of, of Ronnie's death. And, uh, it's just really sad. And I think about, you know, just how important he was to, to rock and metal and how his spirit uh, still lives on, you know, really, really strong to this day. You, you hear yeah. people all the time, you know, mentioning Ronnie's name as one of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, metal singer of all time. Some of the last in line, right? I, I always love to say this, you know, I love that uh, when you're going to see a band in a club and the music they're playing over the PA system and there's certain songs that come on and they're sort of like these metal family type of songs that everybody sings along with. Heaven and Hell is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the Last in Line is another one, you know, yeah. when that comes on, everybody's singing along with it. And uh, Ronnie just had such a, an amazing, amazing career with Rainbow, Black Sabbath, with his own band and, you know, his generous, uh, warm personality. Uh, there's just endless uh, people talking about what, what an amazing person he was, what a generous and kind human being he was. And you feel that through the music. You know, we keep saying this here about how Ronnie loved to sing for the people we rock, stand up and shout, we rock, we're the last in line, right. I'm with you here, you know, yeah. we're all in this together. And that it really, his personality comes through uh, in these songs and in these lyrics. And I think that that is outside of his his amazing voice and his, his great songwriting, that's something I always 
loved and admired about Ronnie, the, the fact that he, he seemed larger than life with his amazing voice and everything, but you can just picture, you can just picture the, the, the images. There's so many pictures of him and videos of him signing autographs, yeah. being generous to people and, and with his time and everything. He was such a great ambassador for, for heavy metal. You know, he was a yeah. smart, intelligent, articulate, yeah. uh, well-versed, well-read, thoughtful uh, person. And uh, he's uh, deeply, deeply missed. The other thing that was really cool about Ronnie, and uh, if you've ever seen Ronnie live, and I'm, I know you have, um, well, we saw Ronnie on uh, with the, the Heaven Hell tour. Um, but one thing he always did that I always thought was so cool is that you know, and I, I, I've, I've done this too. Uh, when, when, when the kids make banners, I, I made a couple banners in my earlier yeah. years, you know, to take to the show, and you hold it up and. You, you know, you get a couple people down, you know, in the aisle and, you know, you're holding these banners up. But I remember working on one of the, uh, a banner with my, my friend, like through all, all, all night, all night long, making a banner, a big bed sheet, king size bed sheet, making a banner. Ronnie would always take time to stop. And when the, when one of the banners or, or if somebody was holding up a banner, Ronnie would point at it while he was singing or if they threw the banner on stage, Ronnie would stop, he'd pick it up, he'd hold it up and he'd show yeah. the audience, you know, it was, that was so cool because he knew and he appreciated the, the time and, and the labor that went into these things. They were labor, it was, they were labors of love. And, and he, he acknowledged that and he respected that and he held it up. And in fact, and I, I believe, well, yeah, that there's a, there's a picture in the, in, inner sleeve where yeah yeah the fans the fans are gathered presumably outside of a of a show and they're all holding up the banners and there's two banners up front and they have their fists in the air yeah ronnie ronnie always took time to to acknowledge that and appreciate what the fans what the fans did and like you said you know he'd always stop and sign autographs and things and yeah maybe maybe you get a little bit of a commentary on his uh feelings about vivian campbell and, and <laughs> what he thought of uh the name of the band def leopard yeah <laughs> if you were lucky some people were but yeah so god all bless right. ronnie yes absolutely uh all right so we'll move on here to the uh, last song on side one of the record which is one night in the city another uh cool deep cut uh Great lyrics uh, from Ronnie again in this one. Uh, Ronnie is the master of these rainbow in the dark type contrasting type lyrics. Like there's this line in here that I that I always liked. Uh, dark is never night when dreams make up the light. One night in the city. Yeah. You know, and the way uh, that last verse comes in uh, when he says that line, yeah, the children shared the wonder of the leather and the lace, but one child went away and one child stayed to play for one night in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, great storytelling from Ronnie. I love this is kind of a little bit of a different feel to it. Uh, this song, it's got sort of a mid-tempo thing. The main riff, I think, is really super cool in it. Mm -hmm. Vinny Apice, the king of playing a simple beat, but having his personality come through in it. Uh, he's one of the few drummers that have 
he could just play the simplest beat in the world and I can immediately pick it out and say that yeah. that's, that's Vinny Apice. He just has a certain way of swagger. Yeah, he does. He really does. And uh, even Jimmy Bain, you know, I, I always thought Jimmy had a kind of a unique bass sound that uh, added a lot to uh, the sound of the band. And, and uh, Jimmy was also involved in the songwriting for a lot of things. He was involved in the last in line uh, he was involved in I Speed at Night. He's involved here on One Night in the City. And if you listen to interviews with Vivian Campbell and Vinnie Apice, they talk about how, you know, Jimmy was, he had, he actually added riffs and stuff into these songs and he had little transition pieces. Like I remember Vivian saying in the song, The Last in Line, the little turnaround phrase, that brought them back into the verses. That was Jimmy's idea. Yeah. You know, so he just seemed to have a knack that to go back to Holy Diver, that keyboard part in the song, uh, Rainbow in the Dark, that was Jimmy Bain, you know, so he, he had a real knack for just adding these, uh, simple little little hooks and everything which just went to show what a great chemistry that the band had but i always like there's like there's a there's a keyboard like pattern in here it almost sounds like a marimba or like a mallet instrument or something uh, at one spot here in one night in the city that i always thought was really cool and i and i did like the way the keyboards are used a little bit more on this record they're certainly not intrusive they're not in every song by any stretch but they just come in here and there to give a little bit of a different uh tonal thing so yeah a cool deep cut on the record a cool way to end uh side one ronnie in storytelling mode which is always great yeah and this is kind of uh one of the ways that i feel that dio sort of turned a corner where um gets more into the um the storytelling and, and more of a um more of a contemporary i i, I would consider this to be in more of a contemporary context, whereas, you know, the lyrics that he brought to Black Sabbath were, you know, a certain quality. There, there's, you know, darker themes and maybe more of a uh, doomier aspect to the uh, subject matter and the situations that he would put forth in the lyrics, which, of course, you know, accompanied not only the, the Black Sabbath uh personality but also the, the riffs of tony iomi so they, they the two two things integrated well he wrote lyrics for black sabbath likewise <clears throat> he wrote lyrics for rainbow and richie blackmore had more of a, a classic i don't know how you describe it because his his style is so unique richie blackmore had a bit of blues and like a classical type of fusion of the two things but it would roll both things rolled into one another was kind of Richie Blackmore's unique uh, style of guitar playing, but Dio interpreted that in a way that would uh, were more of a fantasy-driven, uh, medieval in some respects, but the lyrics were pretty much um, consistently uh, of that nature that I, obviously Ronnie felt accompanied the music of Rainbow. Here, where he's running the show, he he branches out, and it, there are bits of of the two to two things I just mentioned. There, there, there there's pieces of rainbow in here, which we'll we'll get to on side two. Um, and there's there's some Black Sabbath. There was probably more Black Sabbath and and Holy Diver, but it, it's still here. It, it, it's still, you know, a bit of that vibe is still present 
on uh, on Last in Line. But with One Night in the City, this is kind of Dio going beyond that into a storytelling kind of a thing where it's it, it's more of a con contemporary context. The song itself is really cool. Um, again, it, it's a little bit more mainstream, I would consider, than the things that we've heard from Ronnie before. But I mean, yeah. it works and it, it's cool. So yeah, One Night in the City, good way to close out side one. All right, and then to open side two, we have Evil Eyes. Uh, interestingly, Evil Eyes was first recorded as the B-side to the Holy Diver single. So if you're curious, you can hear sort of an early version of the song. It's roughly the same. It's basically the same thing here. It's just a little more polished, maybe a little more guitar overdubs and, uh, you know, produced uh, better than it was on the on the B side. Cool song, uh, nice way to open up uh, side B. It's got a melodic kind of uh, element to it that I think is is pretty cool. Maybe not unlike One Night in the City. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, the overall lyrics to the song are are pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, cool way to start side two, Evil Eyes. Evil Eyes is probably my one of my favorite songs on Last in Line. Um, it, it, I guess it's a little corny. I, I think it was even a little corny back then. I got evil eyes. You know, it's like, okay. But I mean, it, it's it's a great song. Uh, it, it's totally, it's totally Dio. Um, it kind of corresponds with his... Uh, the hand gesture, you know, to ward off yeah, the exactly. lie, you know, yeah. so it, 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 you know, it's all in the, in the, in the wheelhouse and it's extension of the Ronnie James Dio personality. Uh, great riff. Yeah. Just a well-written song. Um, yeah. It, it, it's really cool. And, and, and another thing about evil eyes and I was, when I was doing a little bit of research before this podcast, um, the band from Australia, Heaven, uh, their second album were Angels Fear to Tread. I've always liked I've always liked Heaven since they I remember watching MTV as a kid and they would play uh, the song In the Beginning by Heaven. Do you remember Heaven? Yeah, Heaven yeah. Australia. So I, I got the first album, Heaven. Bent was the name of the album. And it's, it's a good rock solid, heavy metal, hard rock album. Um, the second album um, the title track Ronnie sings backups on and I I didn't know that it was Ronnie until much later but he's credited as evil eyes not as Ronnie <laughs> Ronnie James Dio but evil eyes so there must have been a concept that was already in the works for that um but it's certainly even in a background vocal situation Ronnie's Ronnie's really noticeable uh, but I just thought that was an interesting little side note that Ronnie was named Evil Eyes <laughs> for his background vocal contribution on the Heaven Second Heaven album. But yeah, Evil Eyes, probably my second favorite song on The Last in Line. Yeah, and there's that also, speaking of background vocals, there's that high-pitched, like... Yeah, who is that? Who I don't is? know. I'm guessing that that is, it sounds like it's like manipulated, like a tape manipulated thing like maybe it was ronnie's yeah. just his voice and they sped the tape up it so sounds like it sounds female. like it's like an it doesn't sound natural it sounds like it's something that's like manipulated you know to, to sound like that but i guess it, yeah i guess i guess it could be but it, it sounds like 
like almost background bluesy background female vocals yeah and i was looking i was looking in on the back cover there, there's nothing there really isn't anything well there is nothing um there's no text on the inner sleeve so every old text is on the back album cover those who created those who labored those who supported yeah. but i didn't see any mention of anybody doing background vocals and i was thinking well maybe like 1984 maybe was it doro no it wouldn't have been doro yeah. no, they wouldn't have that's an interesting trivia point. question not to say yeah if anybody point. knows yeah let us know because i'm yeah. really curious about that that's that, that's really cool I, li I like the background vocals even if it's just ronnie's voice sped up through a tape whatever i mean sounds good it works all right, next is Mystery. And this is a song that when I was younger, I liked this. I'm not sure it's aged quite as well for me. It's a little, it's just a little too much. And Ronnie would take this even a step further, I think, with uh, uh, Hungry for Heaven mm -hmm. on the next record. And Ronnie has always had this really melodic, almost pop-like uh, side inside him you know this just shows up on on other uh, albums in his career and it's a fun song and everything but it's as I was listening to it today it's just a bit it's a little bit too much for me like the chorus is a little bit too happy sounding and yeah. when I was younger I liked it I think back to the video, the video for it is a little bit corny. The girls in the white dresses dancing around in a circle and everything. It's real yep. 80s, you know, maybe doesn't date itself particularly well, but uh, it's not that I don't like the song, but it's maybe the only song on here as I was revisiting this record today that I kind of thought like, mm, you know, I'm not sure this is aged quite, quite as well as, uh, and it kind of feels like, I remember even at the time kind of feeling like, is he trying to like get a song that would be on the radio type of type of thing? Because here's, here's a guy that was singing Die Young and, you know, over and over and mm -hmm. the mob rules and Stargazer and, and, but I guess, again, I think that this is just, one part of something that Ronnie did like, he did like these more melodic sort of pop-like things. And it wasn't something that he wanted to have all over his record. It was just something he did every now and then. So I guess his one song, it's okay. But uh, sitting back, uh, looking at it now, it's maybe a bit, maybe it's a bit much. I think Ronnie overall, and at this phase in his life and his career was was pretty ambitious and i i do think that the song was was written to be a radio single i, I think it clearly it's a commercial sounding song it's the most radio friendly it's the most syrupy sounding song on the album when you hear it initially you're like okay well this is this was intended to be a single this was intended to cross over to or bring people in who wouldn't normally listen to bands that Ronnie's been a part yeah. of or, or maybe even, you know, be aware of what the Dio band is about, but let's try to put something out there that might appeal to people and bring them in. Let's, let's, let's write a radio friendly song. So that, I mean, that's what it is. And I, and I think it's pretty clear that that's what it was intended to be. It's one of the songs they made the video for. 
And they made a video for the title track and they made a video for mystery. And I think the video for mystery, if I'm not mistaken, was the first one they did, even though I didn't see it until after I saw the video for the last in line. Don't hold me yeah. to that, but I, I think that's the way it went. Um, but, you know, no, you, I, I agree. It, it's not one that um, I would say is one of the stronger songs, at least for me. It's, it certainly isn't one of the ones that I would drop the needle on, but it's okay. You know, I mean, I, I can't say that I don't like it. I like every song on this album. Um, but yeah, it, it's clearly, it's a bit of a departure for Ronnie, who we're used to associating with dark, darker themes or, you know, even not quite as dark, but more of like a Dungeons and Dragons type of vibe on the rainbow. Yeah. And then bringing it into like, you know, the more of a cult type of thing that, that he brought into which was already kind of there but he he kind of like elaborated on with the black sabbath concept uh getting much further away from that on his solo material this is where it's obviously a, a real departure from that and uh yeah and it feels like you know they had a a hit of sorts with rainbow in the dark yeah and you could say that that song is is works well on radio because it's not super long it's it's pretty you know to to the point and everything it's got a pretty straight ahead driving riff all that kind of stuff it's very melodic but it still had a dark uh in strong edge to it and where i felt with uh mystery it, it kind of felt like uh, this is a little bit too much like maybe they were sitting back and going okay you know we had a hit of sorts with rain with rainbow in the dark we need something you know to fill that space and i wish that they could have kept more of the rainbow and the dark yeah the dark part there the rainbow the dark you know this song is is a little bit just too too uplifting and uh too too commercial and radio sounding uh for me so no i understand and i agree it's to me it's like um you might have something like tonight on diary of a madman that I, I really like, I, I, I love that song. Yeah. And then they sort of tried to recreate that, that same kind of a song on Bark at the Moon with uh, So Tired, maybe. Yeah, and went way too And it far, just, yeah. it's a fail for me. I won't get back into that because that takes me to a, a dark place and I'll go on forever. But um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the same sort of thing. It, it, it does kind of take the uh, Rainbow in a Dark template and apply it to, you know, this is applied to that template, but taken into maybe more of a uplifting lighter i see a lot of white when i listen to this song you know it's it's definitely a lighter if you're going to apply a color it would be like you know like white or off white you know kind of a yeah and the video for it just it's hard for me to get that video out of my mind that like guy with you know he's a magician and he's like you know throwing cards or (laughs) yeah oh yeah it's like burned into my memory with that song it's just so so corny and it wasn't that magician too you know we were talking about the kid in the last in line i think that the the person doing the card tricks was some sort of you know, magician celebrity from from that era that you would see him pop up on afternoon talk shows or 
<laughs> so, yeah, maybe it was Harry Blackstone. I'm not really sure, but Harry Blackstone was a real popular magician in the 80s. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I can't visualize it. I've, it's been a while since I've seen the video, and I'm not in, in, in any hurry to see it anytime soon. But uh, yeah, but I mean, there, there's sort of a certain past that all these things get because I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was the way that it was there, there was equal parts of things. There, there wasn't anything that stood out as c- contrived, even though we could say in fairness that this song was contrived to be a single. It just doesn't sound bad, badly contrived. It, 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 there's still some sincerity. There's still an extension of the Dio uh, person, personality. You know, there, there's a little bit of that uh, mystique, the magician, you know, believe in magic, you know, the Dio thing where he's kind of, that's become more, more of his, his persona with, with the Dio band. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll uh, give you that. It does fit into the whole, right. Magic and, and, uh, you know, mystery and yeah. So, so the lyrics, the lyrics, yeah, do kind of fit the, the Dio template, but it's just the, the poppy nature of of the song and the way the chords are and sort of the feel of the whole thing that it's just a little bit you know the keyboards here are are a little intrusive in my opinion a little bit yeah uh, they sound yeah. very like they're in the foreground know, we're, we're, we're 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 getting uncomfortably close to night ranger even though i like night ranger uh that kind of 80s keyboards uh type of thing so yeah, and it wasn't by accident. I mean, I think that everything about this song was intended to try to, to hit more of a mainstream audience. So they pulled out all the bells and with all the stops and all the bells and whistles in this song. Let's get some keyboards. Let's get some, you know, catchy chorus. Let, let's get more of a, a major sounding vibe on this song. Let's try to bring some people in. But, you know, still stay true to what, you know, still stick to the plot. Just maybe make it a little bit more happy <laughs> you know but it wasn't out of character so let's move away from mystery <laughs> <laughs> yeah and one last thought on that interestingly it's a jimmy bain and ronnie dio uh, writing credit and i seem to have some memory i should have looked it up before here that that was something that that jimmy uh, maybe had some influence on like let's try to write a you know let's try to write a song that we can you know a more commercial song so by another All like buy another house yeah right exactly all right but we move on we move on to eat Mm -hmm. your heart out uh cool song i like the spot where it just drops down to bass and drums just sort of like that half half tempo uh type of feel there it's got a pretty cool uh main riff uh yeah uh cool song yeah i like it a lot um it, 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 it's definitely the, the main deep cut on this album for me. I, I look forward to hearing it. I, I wouldn't say that it's one of the songs that I will seek out and play isolated from the rest of the album, but I will definitely turn it up or I'll give it my full attention when I'm listening to the album. Uh, I like the riff. I like the way that there's like kind of that stop and start thing with, with the way the Dio phrases the lyrics. Um, we get into a little bit of a cringy type of thing with the chorus. Oh, eat it out, eat your heart yeah. out. 
I don't know if that was intentional, but it does, you know, kind of take your mind away from where the lyrics are and put it in another place. And that's pretty typical of some of the tongue-in-cheek suggestive lyrics that were so common in the 80s. And I can only think that maybe that was by design to sort of assimilate with a lot of what was going on. Certainly Quiet Riot had that going on. Motley Crue definitely had it going on. Def Leppard had it going on. It's one of the things that, unfortunately, that I do look back on in the 80s, and I, I have to kind of cringe, were, were the overtly uh, suggestive lyrics. Get a little bit of that here. I mean, that's Ronnie's always been a stranger to that sort of thing. But I think here he's kind of like warming up to it a little bit. So what we could say about the last line is, Dio was not afraid to experiment with some of the things that were going on. He was well aware of where certain bands were getting success, what they were doing when, when they, were, they were achieving success, things that were, were getting popular. Um, and I think he was trying to, you know, he was throwing some, throwing things to the wall and seeing what would stick. Uh, based on what was going on around. And I think it was more or less a business decision. But again, I mean, he integrated, he integrated it into what he was doing in a tasteful way. This sort of kind of makes it a little, you know, it takes it to the nth degree in the taste department, but it's still there, you know, it, it, it's not over the top. Um, but it's just interesting to see that Ronnie was definitely reaching out and trying to see what, what he could get away with while still yeah. keeping it centralized to what he was best known for. So yeah. it's, a, it's a clever way to do that. And I, I think it is fairly obvious, but you know, yeah. in, in a way that Dio could pull it off. Yeah. It's, it's when he says that for me, it's when he says that line, you've been a bad, bad girl, you know, that, that, that sounds like yeah. what kind of what you're talking about, but I love the way the, the way the, riff is in the verse the early verses it's sort of uh, like a start stop kind of riff yeah. but then when they get to the last verse and he does that and all the promises of springtime turn yeah. to high so the riff keeps playing like you know it doesn't stop on that yeah. verse it keeps it plays through it which i think is great and at the end of the song i i say talk about this a lot with ronnie he was very good at as the song was fading out to throw in these one or two lines, you know, where the melody line would be a little bit different. I always call them sort of like tag lines. Yeah. So More he does this at the end here, when he does this spinning cages for her pleasure, weaving chains to hold the prize, magic yeah. moments with the jailer all on fire. Then he dies, then he dies. You know, so these like two little lines yeah. that he throws in at the end of the song that uh, just sound really cool. So for me, this is a great deep cut you know, off this, off this record. So. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so, all right. The last track uh, is uh, Egypt. The chains are on. This is the longest song on the album. Six minutes, 57 seconds. It gets a, a uh, writing credit here from all the guys are in on this one with the writing credit as they were also on eat your heart out. This is maybe kind of maybe because of the subject matter, it kind of feels like a little bit of a baby brother to Stargazer. It uh, doesn't quite yep. live up to the lofty, almighty heights of the uh, 
amazing stargazer, but it's still a really cool song. I'm a sucker for these kind of uh, minor key type riffing, that little line in the uh, the main riff there that, that Vivian is playing is is really cool. It's, it's uh, you know, classic uh, metal type lyrics. If you're not going to be singing about swords and castles and maidens, probably, or, or you're, or you're taking something from uh, Lord of the Rings, probably the next, the next best place to visit to get metalheads excited is Egypt. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's got those elements to it here. Uh, he even throws in a, uh, they were, they were frightening in the darkness. They had rainbows in their eyes. I like that part in the song where it sort Fall of back drops to, down yeah. and it gets sort of spooky. And then when the guitar solo comes in, I think this is, I love it like uh, the the rhythm there, the drums are playing those quick little rolls and that tight little section there while the guitar is soloing over the top, and then the whole band kicks in. The guitar solo just uh, uh, builds really well, and uh, yeah, it's a cool song. It's a cool way to take out the record. I always, when I think of Ronnie, I always think of uh, you know the way his albums ended. He tended to end albums with epic songs like this that had this kind of tempo to them think about lonely is the word think about over and over shame on the night is a very similar kind of feel to him mm -hmm. and here we get you know egypt the chains are on so for me it's a classic ronnie uh album closer at this point um <clears throat> I, I would say that this is my favorite I've, I've you know what had so many years invested listening to this album and and i would say that in the early part of my experience with the album my favorite songs would be something like we rock last in line evil eyes lately i've gravitated more towards this song and um you got two things that ronnie does really well one is uh bring everybody in in a triumphant we're all in this together type of rock and roll children, lyrical vibe, triumphant, and anthemic vibe. He does that really well. That's, that's, that's kind of his trademark. The other thing that Ronnie does well, two things, he does a lot of things well, but the two most remarkable things that he does is what I just mentioned of the anthemic type of um, heavy metal, you know, children, heavy metal fans getting a common commonality amongst all his fans. Uh, and the other thing is the epic, the epic thing that Ronnie does is superb. Um, lately, that's what I gravitate more towards on this album. And I would say that Egypt is my favorite as it stands now, and as it probably has been for the last 10 or 20 years, Egypt has been this, my go-to song on here. You're right. It is definitely kind of like a baby brother to uh, Stargazer. You can't listen to it. And the chains are on, you know, it's it's sort of the same kind of concept that he's singing about on, on Stargazer. Maybe that was intentional. I'd like to think that it is because it seems rather obvious. Um, and so it, it works. And um, in the context of the album, it checks that box. It, it does bring in, like you said, the last song, yeah. epic, over and over, um, Shame on the Night from Holy, Holy Diver. Mm -hmm kind of the same sort of thing but this has more of that uh, epic quality um also like uh it, it goes back to to a rainbow vibe it kind of ties it all in together and and brings this into the current context 
of the Dio band. And I like that he does that. I like that he does. There is a callback to things that he's done before. So it isn't like you feel like, oh, well, that that was Dio and Rainbow. And, you know, that's not what he does anymore. Or that was Dio and Sabbath. And that's not what he does anymore. I, I like that. He's experimenting with new things, but he also brings in some of the older vibes. But he, but now it's Ronnie doing it. It's not, you know, it's not Tony and it's not Richie. It's 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 Ronnie and Vivian and the rest of the band. And it's it's more of an extension of of Ronnie's personality. And again, I go back to when I said that you know you listen to 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 things that were a part of the Rainbow era, and you you can see that you can see what Ronnie brought to that to the music of, of, of rainbow in that time. And, and, you know, you can see that he was kind of responsible for the, for bringing some of the concepts and the lyrical uh, uh, concepts in, in, into those songs. And, you know, Egypt, the chains are on definitely the epic of the album. And I'm glad that it's on here because it just checks all the boxes and makes it a, a really great complete package. So. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, the last in line. Uh, I guess my final thoughts on this album would be it's a real uh, high, high mark for the Dio band. I didn't know this at the time, but things, uh, as we talked about earlier here in the podcast, the, the cracks would start forming and they would really... Uh, at this point, the cracks aren't affecting the band, but the cracks would start affecting the band with Sacred Heart. We'll get into that when we get to our Sacred Heart podcast. But uh, this is just a, a high mark in Dio's, Ronnie James Dio's career, as, as well as the Dio band. Uh, fond memories of it for all the reasons we mentioned, especially because here in 1984, it's just really heavy metal. It's just exploding everywhere, and it's, it's really... Uh, it's, it's a big coming out. If you want to pick out a coming out year for heavy metal, you can maybe say 83 or 84. Uh, and this album is, is right there. So great memories with this record. Uh, always fun to revisit it. So my final thoughts. Got any final thoughts on The Last in Line? Um, yeah, I think this is pretty much the high watermark for Dio. Uh, it, it's also where I, 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 when I was listening to this recently, I think it's probably the song where he his voice really is at full capacity. I mean, he's been working up to it. I mean, certainly yeah. he sounded great in Rainbow. Um, he sounded even better in Sabbath. Um, he he tried different things. He brought more of an aggressive aggressive tone to his voice. But man, the way that he the song "The Last in Line" is perfect, perfect vocal performance. I yeah. think that this, in a lot of ways, is Dio at his his greatest you know um certainly sacred heart he sounds really great and but i just don't think the songs are as good but we'll get into that but yeah i mean i i guess the last thing i'd like to add is that if you're gonna by some unfortunate circumstance somebody hasn't heard of ronnie james dio and uh, you have to recommend, well, you know, you could listen. There's a lot of things that you could turn them on to. You could say, well, you should, you should listen to Heaven and Hell. Or, or maybe you should listen to Rising, Rainbow Rising. Or, or, or you know, maybe, maybe um, the Mob Rules or whatever. I would suggest pointing somebody in this direction because 
certainly it's got a more wider range of, of, of musical styles in here that I think would probably bring more people into, but Ronnie just sounds fantastic on here. You know, he's, yeah. he's got everything going on. He's got, you know, the modulation of the, of the softer voice to the, to the harsher voice, not quite as harsh as like maybe say mob rules, but yeah, I mean, he just sounds really good. And it's definitely an album that I would say, okay, well, you want to get into Dio? Check out the last in the line. That's, that's a yeah. good point. He's a, he's an athlete in his prime. Yeah. You know, right at this point, it's just, everything's clicking for him. So what, what album I want to get into Dio, but I'm not sure what album to start with. Where should I start? Oh, Get, get the last yeah. line. Start there. Yeah, I would say you couldn't go wrong with that. I think right. Okay, uh, there you go. There's the last in line. Uh, let us. Uh, we we do have a Facebook page. If you go on Facebook and look up Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast, you'll find our Facebook page. You can send us messages there. You can leave comments. Mm-hmm. We always post the new videos when they show up on there. Uh, Darren and I. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Layer of the Alchemist. And uh, Darren and I do a running series that we call Sabbath Sunday, where we tackle all kinds of Black Sabbath related topics, as well as Black Sabbath adjacent things like Ozzy and the Dio band. Uh, We bring special guests on with us to talk about things that, uh, you know, maybe uh, extensions of things that we talk about here on the podcast lists and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, Search for Layer of the Alchemist on YouTube. And uh, for our next podcast, we are moving chronologically through the Black Sabbath as well as Ozzy and Dio catalogs. So as uh, Last in Line was released in July of 84, the next record uh, released here is going to be Sacred Heart, which was released in August of 85. And then we'll be back with Black Sabbath with their Seven Star album, which was released in January of 86. So just to give you a little sneak preview of what we've got coming up here on the podcast. So thanks again to everybody out there for listening. And uh, we will see you next time.